Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I sit down with Peter Purley. And oh boy, do we have an episode for you because Peter is a turnaround CEO. He's the fixer. He's the guy who gets dropped into very large organizations and fixes them before the banks close them down. And often that means he has days, you know, maybe a month, maybe two months to prove to the banks why this organization should survive. And there are jobs on the line. There are millions of dollars on the line. So to be able to sit down with him and pick his brain on the corporate world, it's stuff you just normally don't get a chance to do, or we at least normally don't get a chance to do. So just love the opportunity to sit down with him. It was a Rockstar Inner Circle member who made the introduction. So really want to thank that person for doing this and setting this whole thing up. Peter's just a fascinating guy, just a lifetime of experience in the corporate world and the stuff that he he's had to deal with. He shares one story. He shares stories about different companies in Singapore he's worked with in the US and Scotland and, and this Toronto story that he shares about this Toronto company just kind of blows your mind a little bit. Wait until you hear that particular part. It blew. I think Nick and I both had our jaws open there for a second. So wait until you hear his discussion. And at the very end, we talk about Canada a little bit and the economy and what he's seeing, get some of his thoughts on that. So absolutely loved this discussion with Peter. We'll definitely bring him back to chat more and go into more depth into the things that he's been through. I feel like we just scratched the surface with Peter. If you want to check him out, we didn't get a chance to share his URL when we were chatting. So you can check him out or, or, or just basically get his contact information at this URL. It's www.turnaround-ctm.com. That's www.turnaround-ctm.com. His name is Peter Purley. And uh, before we get started with the episode, I want to share that if you are listening to this and you want to dive into some real estate investing information and you haven't known where to go look for some Canadian-centric information with a group of people right here in the greater Toronto area who are helping other Canadians buy cash-flowing real estate to create secondary income streams in people's lives, you can go to www.rockstarinnercircle.com to get access to all our videos, more podcast episodes like this, reports that we put out, books that we put out, articles that we put out. Basically, all the content that we're trying to share is available to you through a link on that website. That's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. We also have a weekly email that goes out to tens of thousands of Canadians. You can get onto the weekly email that we put out there sharing uh, the latest content that we have and you can get onto that at www.rockstarinnercircle.com. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show with Peter. Enjoy. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life your term show with Tom and Nick Caradza. Are you ready? Let's go. We are live, and uh, Nick, and all honestly, though, I just need to check. Can you hear me or not? Yeah, I can I, am I coming okay, through? It's working, yeah. No, yes. this time I really need to check. Peter it's doesn't not, know the joke. There's no <laughs> joke. There's no joke. Peter, sometimes at the beginning of this yeah. podcast two years ago, I would right. ask Nick if he could, if he could hear me because right. we didn't know what we were doing. We still don't know what we were doing, but uh, people kind of got on to the caught on to this thing that I would always ask Nick if he could hear me as a little bit of a test, and we never edited it out of the podcast. Right. So now it became this thing where people run, people run into the people literally run into me and say, "Hey, Tom, can you hear me?" And uh, anyway, 
it's this big accident, but I needed him to check because a couple times it uh, it the podcast did not work. So we're here with Peter. How am I going to pronounce your last name? Pearly. Pearly. Yes. Pearly. Yes. I dare not ask about your background because I've been told I ask too many people about their background on 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 uh, on this podcast, but I can't resist. Where are your parents from? <laughs> Tell me, where are your parents well, from? Well, I, I had really crazy parents. I had a, a Protestant English father, and uh, you know, very controlled and all that kind of thing. And a wild no emotion, Irish, no, no, no emotion, no, no, not, not. Yeah. At Christmas time, they might shake your hand. Well, that was That's, a little bit too yeah. much, right? And then a very passionate. Redheaded Irish mother. Oh, so you had and there fire, was two you had fire different and, ice. and two different religions. So, growing up was like the War of the Roses. You remember the the movie where the guys are having the divorce? It was that kind of world. So that would that those parents produce Peter, who is a, and is the proper name for you? You said it. You're is it a like a? To, in my mind, you're like a CEO who gets dropped into problems, and you're told to make it work. Is that is that really how you view yourself? Is that a proper proper explanation? With the exception, you say you're dropped in and make shit happen. Yeah, <laughs> so got it. Got it's it. not. It's formal, but the whole thing is: can we add value and can we create something that's really better? Because in most pe- cases, people are in stress. So it's like maybe it's like being in the operating room. You know, you're brought in the ER. Doctor's got to figure it out. So who? Hi- so so when you're hired to go into a company, yeah, who's hiring you? It's the board of that company that's saying we need some help and let's drop in somebody like Peter into that organization? Who hires you for these okay, roles? So that's, that's an excellent way of looking at it. One, it's the board, or two, it's their lawyers. Because you never go to your accountant when you're having problems, right? You know, when you're having an issue, you go to the, the lawyer who's going to say, okay, we're going to get this fixed. And the lawyer's involved because the company's under such stress that it's about to be sold off or torn well, apart? Well, yes, there's a few conditions. One might be that you know, take your business, for example. You might say, well, it's worth X million dollars, but you think it's worth more. Yeah. So now you yeah, want we're to get the billion. to the billion. Rockstar is like, I know, you're we're, the we're, billion. This well, is a multi-billion dollar I was organ- going to say it's a multi-trillion, and I see yeah. you have so much Bitcoin on this desk yeah. that we're actually having to shovel this to one <laughs> these side. Are all, yeah, 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 these are all just, uh, you know, little little icons of Bitcoin. It's not the actual, the Bitcoin lives out on the network, Peter. It's so, not actually so on the why, table here. So why is Jeff Bezos flashing on your on your computer right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yes, it comes in that, or it might be a specific investor, and the investor is concerned. Or it may be that they've sold a business, there's still some kind of work-through clause, and the owners are saying, well, hold on a second, when we had it, we were doing this. So it may be groomed for sale, in which case you're just trying to get a higher value, or it may be financial stress. And then there's one other situation. The financial stress is typically when the bank has called a loan, and you've got 10 days before the bank's going to shut you down. So that's a short fuse. So I have to kind of get in there and create some kind of magic where the bank will believe that there's a future. And the challenge with that is, is that quite often the people in the company have pissed off the bank. To use it very, very mildly, you know, they're mad at the bank, they're mad, mad, mad. So you've got to get a consensus and you've got to get people out of the, den- the denial. And so I could be like the eagle flying up there and find that little, mo- little money mouse where it is and figure out how to get it back and get things on track. Don't people, in that type of environment, there must be a lot of animosity towards you when you go into that type of environment early on. Because some people are like, well, we, we should know this better. I hate the bank. Who's this other outsider guy coming in to tell us what to do anyways? 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I had one. I had this one chemical company. What a I great got, role. Yeah. Peter just gets thrown to the wolves. <laughs> yeah, well, you do. You know, it's like, who is this asshole? Who's, and you always get this question. What do you know about our business? And I say, I don't. And they look and say, well, why am I doing it? And I say, look, it's nothing personal, but this is where you are. So my job is to get you out of that. So you may know a lot about your product. You might know a lot about your customers. But right now you're losing money. So my job is to help you get back to making money. And there's a big difference in that because, as you know, even you know, in your business, there's people who are absolute experts about something. But when it comes to actually getting the return, they're not there or they're missing something. And it's interesting. All of these things that I've done, there's always something very basic that's been missed. So you have people who've been in the business for years and years and years, and they've just missed it. I mean, think of the number of restaurants before the shutdown, higher-end restaurants, which takeout wouldn't happen. But if you look in Oakville, for example, you've got Seasons. He decides, yeah, I can do takeout. All the other people at the same level are saying, oh, no, it's too complicated. He starts doing it. And now he's got, even though he's got restrictions in terms of people who can come in, he's got one hell of a business, so much so that it's almost special parking to deal with it. So... Quite often, there is a simple solution. It doesn't get there just by overnight. You can't kind of snap your fingers and it automatically happens. But it does come down to basics. So like you were saying about your energy and your strength training and so on, and you were talking about your range of motion. When you change something, suddenly you have that. But if you just keep with a specific weightlifting, you know, you start to get more taut mm -hmm. because all the muscles are going one way. And business quite often happens that way. Is, is that what you find often, that when, when you go into these things, you find that they've gotten away from basics? Like, you know, like maybe they started a business or were successful for a period of many years, and for some reason they got sidetracked by a, a project or an initiative that just, you know, they can't, for some reason, not producing the results, and they're, they're almost blinded by, by that, they're so focused on it, and they can't bring things back to the basics that got them to that level of success in the first place? That's a, that's a very... Uh, I'm just wondering if that's common. No, that's a, that's a very pivotal question because what does happen is that people get defocused. So, for example, let's say you've got a business. You've got a friend. He figures his business is worth X or Y. Somebody tells him he can go public and can sell. He gets all focused on that. So everybody's looking in this direction, and they're really busy focusing, focusing on that, and they forget the basics. Or like you say... And this happens quite often in, you know, the, there's kind of the rags to riches to rags percentages on businesses. The founder really understood his customers, he understood his employees, and he understood his product. And he would have his people, you know, they work extra hours because they just kind of love the person and so on and so forth. When the business passes hands, sometimes you've got entitled kids taking it over. And now it's easy. Or they hire various people. But they miss what you're saying is the, the key part of the business. So if you think of, well, if I use real estate, if you've got a really good realtor, I'm just using the basic selling your house, if you really trust that person, the transaction is going to go well. So if the realtor engages with the, the client in a way that there's a very high level of trust, or think of your doctor. You know, you walk in, if you trust the doctor, and now he says, oh, by the way, I've got to do this, this, and the other thing. Oh, that's kind of nasty. But, you know, he's going to make it quick. Sure. 
you're good. But if you don't like that, you are now in this position of fear. And so when somebody is distracted, they tend to go to fear. And then they go to paralysis. And then things go down. And coming back to your other point about being popular, uh, you're totally unpopular. Not so much by the, if it's manufacturing the guys on the floor, not so much the lower employees, but your top level and your top mid-level, they're always unhappy because they really think that they are kind of, they walk on water and nobody's going to address them. So when you come in, you've got to look at it addressing everyone. So who are the performers? Who are the engagers? Who are the rainmakers? Who are the people who make things happen? Maybe, you know, like coming into your office. Maybe your receptionist is the one that kind of brings people together in a way that they walk in the door and they feel really good. Those are little things, but businesses get away from them. Yeah, you're walking into a lot of ego to deal with. In some businesses at a certain size, that, like you said, those, you know, the top level or the mid level, right. when you combine those two, there's a lot of egos. There can be. I shouldn't say there is, but there can be a egos lot of egos. And, and a lot of, of fiefdoms, a lot of political groups yeah. within bigger yeah, companies yeah. that are but all you're... trying to protect their own turf. And sometimes they're having infights between each other, trying to get favor of the new guy who's coming in at the top and all t- reporting to him behind closed doors of who's really smart in the organization and who's not and who's doing the right things and who's not. Right. And he unfortunately has to sift through this bullshit and figure out the truth. It's really a difficult role you have. How do you get to the point to get this role? Like, how did you become this person that's, because what is your average length of stay in one of these kinds of deals? It's typically uh, 18 to 24 months. 18 to 24 months. This is a unique thing. How, mm. how did you get to the point to do this? Well, I started off as a chart accountant in Britain. Oh, see, and, yeah, accountants. Yeah. No, but yeah. Yeah, now this was oh, a really geez. bad thing. Right? Oh, and then yeah. I was the worst accountant. <laughs> because in those days, you had to figure out where the... Which side you put the money on on the thing? Yeah, there was actually I, a ledger book. Yes. it was like a book. Yes, in the yeah. ancient days before Noah's Ark. That's it's what how it was. I understand Bitcoin because I can. I remember <laughs> there's this actual ledger that looks like this book. So yeah. now that Bitcoin's on the on the network, I'm like, oh, I get this idea. Right. But uh, yeah, wow, you started back then. So yes, and then I I learned to um, I worked for a couple of large companies and I learned how to sell and I learned about operations. But originally, I was a plant rep. My dad used to run businesses, and he dragged me around because there's nothing else to do. Um, and I put, you, you say plants, so it was always yeah, manufacturing manu- facilities? A lot of manufacturing. Yeah. And then I put myself through uh, college shoveling p- uh, concrete on piecework. So I understood incentive very quickly as a student. You know, the more sh- concrete you shoveled, the more beer you drank. You know, it was a very simple equation. It wasn't difficult for me. Um, but yes, you go in, and in larger companies, the political side of it, and to, to your point... This animosity comes from their emotional investment in themselves and their ego. In other words, I'm the guy in charge of uh, uh, supply chain, therefore nobody else can, I'm the only person who can understand it, right? Um, And yet, I don't ship the products to the customers on time because I'm too busy, you know, that kind of stuff. So you have the political infighting. And the interesting thing is, is, Sometimes in small family businesses, you have even more because now you've got, well, my older brother is the CEO, but I'm smarter, or vice versa, or, you know, uh, Jenny's in charge of manufacturing, but what the fuck does she know? So somehow, you have to get to an inspired consensus. And what I mean by inspired consensus is that people have an outcome they can believe in. 
years ago, Napoleon said that he found it interesting that men would die for a cause. Mm -hmm. I look at it differently. I say that people will fight for an idea, for an outcome. So I try and find an outcome that makes perfect sense. Now, it can never make perfect sense because you're absolutely right. And that's a very inspired comment there because, yes, those political fiefdoms, I mean, if you think of a company like Air Canada, imagine what that's like. It's probably worse than the House of Commons, right? There's all kinds of cabals and people together. And should we have chaos. the end? Yes, chaos. chaos. Well, you get $400 million, yeah, yeah. you know, must have. Look how much money the government's sending us. <laughs> yes. What are we going to do with all this money? Yeah, I don't know. I think we need another conference. Yeah. So, yes, you've got to cut through that bullshit. And you've got to get people understanding that real performance is a reward. And quite often I do that by linking their mission and the outcome to their paycheck. So it's not like they all go on commission, but the point is, and I never mess with people's salaries. If you've got to get rid of people, you get rid of people. However, the people who stay, if we hit our outcomes, they do well. And that's very important because they start to see now that it is a performance-based environment. And they also understand that I know in these circumstances people are going to have to work harder. So you've got to give them something because the kids at home don't care that dad's at the office. They just care that dad isn't here or mom isn't here. So you have to give something that's a give back. You can't just do it, okay, the shareholder's got to get a return. Now, I've worked for many shareholders and I've done that, but I realize that if you don't contribute along the way, people become ambivalent. So you have to kind of grease the palm if, in a sense. But the point is, if you're delivering, you're getting a return, and it's measurable and it's fair. Because in a lot of these incentive schemes, you'd need to be a Wall Street lawyer to figure out how you get paid, how you don't get paid. I like how they're called, yeah, you called them incentive schemes. Because yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes they are, yeah, you can't figure it out. I remember when the new commission plan would be pushed down to me. I was classic middle management in the tech world, right? So yeah. the VPs and the EVPs, senior, you know, VPs, senior VPs, EVPs, they all come together. They push down the new commission plan and it's left to the regional sales manager middle management to roll it out to the sales force, how they're getting half the territory, but their quota is doubling. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And how this is a good thing, like how this is a real positive thing because the company is going to go public for X amount of dollars. Right. And I remember just looking at these plans and they're kind of cheering it. And not everybody, some of the VP, I have to say some of the good EVPs and stuff, they knew what was being rolled down, but yeah. there was left to you to roll it out. And I remember thinking, this is the worst job ever. You basically just have to tell people you're selling to half your territory and we're commit and the commission's half the rate that it was last year. So uh, it's tough. And it would be like a booklet. I remember getting like a booklet of all the rules. This is your territory. This company's not your territory. Just a disaster. But it kind of made it a game a little bit because the sales reps, what I found, I'm sure you found this, they always figure out how to game the commission structure. There's oh, yeah. all, it's, it's just like you roll out any sort of commission structure to a group of sales reps. Within two weeks, they've mastered figuring out how to, how to maximize that thing, which I always admired because I was the same way. I'm like, okay, listen, how am I going to break this thing apart? You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, you did, you're just dealing with so much stuff. You said something earlier that I want to get your opinion on or, or thoughts on. You said you're dropped in. Sometimes you only have 10 days to make the banks believe right. that you're, you're on the right path. Yes. How do you make the banks believe? What is it? Showing financial statements? Showing a you know, a new, a new uh, customer base what, what, or, or just some projections? What is, what, what is it? Because I, I want to make the bank believe too. What, what is it that you're do, what, doing to, to, to the bank in 10 days that gives, you, gives them buy-in 
that they're going to, you know, not call their loans due or whatever right. it is that they're doing. Okay. So in that situation, um, typically the banks already had their financial advisors come in and they've come to a decision, which we call a liquidation analysis. I could do one in, you know, just minutes for most companies because it's just percentages. And so this is doom and gloom. This is like COVID right now. We're going to have 6,000 deaths, 10,000, you're all going to die. So the first thing... I think that, I just dismissed that pretty... <laughs> we're going to have 6,000, 10,000, you're all going to die. To, ev- to everyone, you know yeah. Actually, that's probably a better way to communicate it. Let's face it. That'll get everybody obeying everything, you know? You know 6,000 are going to die, then 10,000, and then all of you. <laughs> so I shouldn't laugh. Pick, pick your pick level. Your, yeah, pick what's your level, the level? Right? What's the level? So the first thing... I've got to sell the impossible. So, you know, you've got a background in, in very sophisticated tech sales, right? And so, you know, selling something to somebody who doesn't understand what you're selling to them is very prob- problematic. So remember the banks, the guys dealing with them, the banks, we call them the hammers. These are tough guys. You know, they've heard all the bullshit, every story. They're like the desk sergeant in Chicago or Glasgow or some goddamn place, you know. You can't tell them anything. They're like the old criminal lawyer. What you can do is to show them that their facts, if you look at their facts, there is, in fact, an opportunity. So that opportunity is up here. We're down here. So now it's a gap analysis. So you've got to show them how you're going to make differences. So typically, if I go in to meet with a bank, they want to meet you. You've been hired. And they come in, and they're all full of death and brimstone and all this kind of stuff. And I say, oh, by the way, just to let you know, we did this yesterday, and this means to you this, and here's a check for a million dollars. Now, you may not be able to give them that check that day, but what I've said is I'll meet you in a month and I will do this. So if my plan is crap, any month I don't meet you with the million dollars or the five, whatever the scope and scale is, you can throw it in the hopper. Now, you don't get to say that unless people know you've done this before. Because if you just come in and you're just glad hand Harry, you're done. You're toast. So if you're hiring somebody like this, it's rather like, would you hire the new surgeon who's, he's just qualified, but he's really good, you know, with doing it the kind of computer-controlled AI, or do you hire the guy who's done it a thousand times, and now he's embracing AI? I think you'll take the thousand-time guy. I have to eliminate the animus you were talking about, and I have to get something that's credible. And again, something you also said was that kind of back to basics. So I've got to show them that there's something now in the business we're doing. And sometimes, if it's a, let's say, a manufacturing plant, I'll have them walk through the plant with me. And then I'll start showing them things we're doing. And they'll go, oh, every banker says he likes to know your business. What it means is he comes out, he has a look, he has lunch, and you get different terms, sometimes more, right? <laughs> so when he comes through and he starts to see that there's a greater efficiency, and you can quantify that and show this is what it means to them, and you point out that your number one thing is going to be, your biggest priority is going to be, is to ensure their loans are paid down with this period of time. Then you're talking their language because you're making it better. You know, you're selling to the soul. You're the ultimate, so I'm, I'm listening to you, I'm like, oh, you are the ultimate salesman of the company because you're taking the bankers and you're just selling the new vision. And you're coming from experience so they can believe you. Mm. 
but you're ultimately painting this vision and you're making it real by putting a dollar figure on it and saying, hey, you're dangling that million dollar check that they're going to cash every month or whatever and saying, this is better than liquidating or whatever they were about to do and get cents on the dollar. Absolutely. So when they show their liquidation analysis, we talked about this chemical company and after a few days, I found out they got this horrific problem. So they owe the bank like $80 million. And I go to Scotland. Can you imagine owing the bank $80 million? I don't want to. <laughs> I, go to the, I go to Scotland where your mother was born. Yeah, leave it. Leave in Scotland. We've, Le- we've never been to our mother's hometown. Okay, you've you never have... been to Leaven? No. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. You've never been there. No. What kind of son are you? I know. I know, but we do have Scotland up here on our sign in, all, in honor of our mother. Yes, under we've never, Croatia. Under Croatia, because we always go to Croatia. I have farmed potatoes in Croatia. I have loaded up donkeys in Croatia. I've jumped on different animals and tried to ride them down the laneway in Croatia, but uh, never Scotland. We but started that, going to Croatia because our father forced us to, yeah. to be fair. Because yeah, so, if you yeah. know any Croatians, you know they're going to tell you Croatia is number one, and <laughs> everything is the best in Croatia. So he would get he would take us there and then drop us off on the grandparents' farm, right. while he would go and God knows what yeah. he's doing in that country, and we're just left there and and taking care of cows and pigs and you know I remember a wild boar coming in one night and skinning it and the whole bit. But uh, anyway, we're way off track. So in coming, leave it, yeah. So in coming back it. to this, you find out now you've got an extra forty million dollars of problems. And these are horrendous because you've got corrosive chemicals and things will blow up and all kinds of shit. And very, very complicated. Because this is this, this factory in Leaven yes. that has 80 million. Uh, why do you have $40 million more in because problems? Because to fix this thing, oh. it's such a, a safety disaster that to fix it is going to cost about $40 million. So now imagine you've gone around the world, you come back, and you have a meeting with the bank. And they're all ready to throw it into the, into the cemetery immediately. they got a firebox all warmed up. And you say, oh, <laughs> we've got a bit of an issue. What is it? You say $40 million. And they look. And I say, I, I can see what you're thinking. Now, there's five people in there, and there's one woman. The five guys are, like you said, the EVPs, the SVP. They're, they're all the whatever. She doesn't say who she is. But I notice she's very um, beautifully dressed, but very simple and plain. And she sits over there. And I realize, okay, she's from the credit committee. I don't need to even think about these guys. She's, She's my the customer, decision right? maker, yeah. So I said, look, this is all to do with explosive chemicals, HSC, you know, health state standards, Britain, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> You're just dismissing it. Just, all this health stuff. Health, however, something, something might blow up. We don't know. Well, you have to tell the story in a way that it's believable, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So they're all looking at me and I say, yes, I know you have some you'd like to put in. And, you know, if I was you, I might do that. However, how are you going to deal with the attendant environmental liabilities on the bank's balance sheet? Because this could be significant. Like, it could be a real problem. And I understand what you want to do. Because in the meantime, the CFO is sitting there. He's, he's watering himself. He's pooping his pants, all the rest of it. You know, the, the owner is sitting there going, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she's looking at me. I said, however, I found a solution. We don't need to borrow any more money from you. What are you going to do? And I said, well, I will take down the the staff there by 30%, I can do this and that, which means this. And over this period of time, it'll pay for it. And I'm still going to give you your million dollars. Does that work for you? Okay. So I now I've got my first 30 days. I have to produce in the first 100 days. So if I get through that first 30 days, and you get the 60 days, and you get the 90 days, and the 100, right? But it is all based on the fact that you are giving them what they're looking for 
and you're demonstrating to them that you're acting with full transparency. You know, so you're going to give them all kinds of mm -hmm. stuff and boilerplate and that kind of stuff. But it really is showing them that you are the solution to their problem. And part of your deal is that you have to be able to be transparent with the bank. Because if you're not transparent, that's where a lot of these things fail. Somebody is kind of playing with the numbers. And the moment you play with the numbers, the bank is going to figure you out. And I Even guess you must have shit your pants sometimes when you re you're looking at a set of numbers, reporting to the bank off those numbers, then you realize somebody's been playing with the numbers. I'm sure this has happened to you. And that moment must be horrible. It is kind of bad. I mean, yeah. imagine, <laughs> imagine, yeah. imagine on a balance sheet, yeah, yeah. you got $50 million of inventory. Now, you say to yourself, this seems strange because it's built up. And you say, I wonder if this is saleable, right? And you talk to him, oh, yes, yes, yes. And then you realize when you're about, oh, 10 months into it, that there's probably 25 million of that that has no value. Holy shit. Right? So that's why you have to do your own liquidation analysis. So when I have that meeting with a bank, my liquidation analysis is actually tougher probably than their advisors. And I said, look, I don't know. But provided we can do this, this is going to get you out in this time. So in that case, managed to get them out in under 12 months. So they were quite happy. You know, the first meeting, you didn't get coffee. After a check, you got coffee. You know, oh, soon sure. you got donuts, the whole thing. After but two checks, you're getting the steak dinner. Well, maybe not two checks. Six months worth six of checks. Six months, yeah, yeah, you, you, get, the you dinner, get the dinner. Yeah. Wow. Holy smoke. So then has there, what, what, what has been, I guess, what has been one of the, I don't know if you want to share this or not. What's been one of the worst ones? Has it, has it been, and what did it come down to? Did you go get dropped into a place and I guess it failed because the internal numbers were, you were getting bad information and then you just couldn't solve it? Was it, was it bad info? Was it bad people? Out of, the, out of the worst situation you've seen, what was the reason for the failure? You don't have to talk about a specific company so we can keep okay, it kind of private. Yeah. But like, what was it? Was it the people maybe? I dealt with something in the US, which was a healthcare thing which <clears throat> initially started out, I was referred in by actually some of the people in Tony Robbins. <laughs> all great things and all this. Other. And the owners were going to have the financial stuff and blah, blah, blah. Well, they didn't. And so I decided that it was a big healthcare company. And I decided that this is just too dysfunctional. So they were away for a short space of time. In the midst of that, a Fox News investigative reporter came in with a cameraman and started to film me. And I said, whoa, hold on a second, what's happening? And they showed me a video of this girl being abused in one of these foster care homes. And they said, what's your, what's your action? I said, it's like terrorism. You just shoot the person in the head who's doing it. Anyway, I was on TV with this. This company, we thought that the challenge was that they hadn't filed taxes for seven or eight years, which in the US leads big penalties, massive penalties. So I took it into a chapter 11 thinking, okay, I can f we can figure out the you know, the tax thing will work something out, right? Get the chapter 11. We have to hire a forensic account. We also have to hire a healthcare expert because otherwise the U.S. trustee will do this. And the healthcare guy is very renowned, all kinds. You know, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's an expert, blah, blah, blah. I'm sitting in a bar in the town on a Friday night. I had a hell of a week. I'm drinking a glass of wine. He calls me up and he says, stop billing. And I say, as a turnaround guy, you gotta be kidding. He said, no, and he's a very serious guy. No, you're gonna stop billing. And I said, well, how serious it is? He said, we have a, a hearing on Tuesday. And if I'm asked that you continue to, uh, to bill, 
you're probably facing 10 to 15 years federal prison. And I said, okay, we'll stop. I could not bill for eight months in this company. And as we looked deeper, we found out that in his estimate, 90% of all the billings were fraudulent. So now you've got to figure out how do you deal with this? How do you protect your clients who are now facing crazy, crazy jail terms? And how do you actually steer through this thing? And you couldn't bill because then you would be complicit in this and could face jail time? Absolutely. Hmm. Because the way the regulators look at it is who's in charge. Oh, got it. Got it. So he was really saving you here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm sitting there going, what the hell am I going to do? So you have to figure out other ways to make that happen. So then you say, okay, look, we're not going to be rising the Titanic. What we've got to do is we've got to minimize the effect of all this. And the interesting thing at the end of the at the end of the day, I got the Florida state government, the attorney general, to vote in favor of my plan. So there's a lot of la la in there. Right? You dealt with some crazy shit. You're seeing all kinds of sides of humanity, even. Like, you know, when you get into these kinds of situations, you're seeing people with agendas that I feel with working together with, you know, Nick here and my brother and our family works together. I feel sometimes very grateful to be able to do what I do because. Sometimes you're you're thrown in a situation. This is this tests you, man. This is this is this is real, you know. Yeah, and you're, I can see by the look on your face right now. You've been through a lot of shit. Then there was another one, which actually turned out the other way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I was going to just ask you. I'm like, oh my gosh, let's go to the positive. So what's what's the well, you're po- going to have a positive? Yeah, yeah. Let's, right? let's have the positive one. So this this one was funny because it was about this time of year, some years ago, and I get this call and. Uh, Come and have a meeting. They want to f- fix this company. It's another healthcare company. And uh, I meet with all these people. There's more experts in the room I can imagine. And this <laughs> lawyer comes in, and she's quite elegant. And they're all talking and blah, blah, blah. And eventually I said, look, nobody wants to do a turnaround. And she said, well, we, we want to. And I said, you just don't have the balls for this. And I left. And I'm on the gardener. This is in Toronto. Yeah, I got a phone call from the senior partner. He said, is your name Peter Perley? I said, yes. He said, did you just say to so-and-so? She didn't have the balls? I said, yes. He said, you're retained. I said, what do you mean? He said, just... Oh, I, thought he was gonna, I thought he was going to tell you. <laughs> That's <laughs> screw, thought, yeah. screw off. So no, yeah. I go back, I go to his office, and he says, you know, however this works out, you know, if it's the next 24 hours, you're retained. So I go there. I said, what's the real deal? He said, we were in court this morning, and the judge said, unless you've got credible management, the company's down, it's done. So anyway, we go back. I'm going up the escalator into the courthouse. And this guy's he's from these tough lenders. And he says, oh, God, I was, thought I was going to put them in the grave today. He said, I don't know. They got this guy. And he's come from nowhere. And he, he's going to be the turnaround guy. And I said, really? I said, oh, right. And he's, we're going up the escalator. He says, do you know him? I said, who is he? He says, it's this Peter Pearly guy. I said, pleased to meet you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this, this thing, we went to court. Something like four or five times a month over the next three months. I discovered a cocaine distribution network. There was another company that was being run out of it fraudulently. There was a whole bunch of things. They tried to kill me. They, the judge gave what? me 24-7 security. 
And we ended up selling the thing for two and a half times the value all the experts thought it was whoa, worth. Whoa, whoa, let's back whoa. up. Just, whoa, rewind here. For, but let's just start. So it's a, is this a healthcare company also? So another yeah, healthcare? Yeah. And, and you find out that I guess some of the licensed practitioners in here are, are distributing cocaine? Is that what's happening? It was actually one of these. It wasn't. There were doctors involved, but it was really involved with well, today it would be important because it would be like a testing company without going too far. And so they had, they'd hired people from the Middle East and a product was going to the Middle East. In other words, stuff was being funneled and it was questionable as to what was being funneled with money. And then they had a, uh, um, just south of Bloor Street, there's a couple of streets and one of their distribution centers was a major cocaine hub. Wait, was the, the, the cor- this is like a corporate run thing? It was a public company, yeah. It was this w- is one of your positive stories? Well, it ended Holy up, it shit, ended, man. It ended up in a sale. <laughs> yeah, you can, yeah, he saved the company. It yeah, got too, sold. No, no, it no, I guess sold, the very right? end. I'm just like, I, I'm still and, stuck on the cocaine. But the, but the beautiful thing is, there was a thousand employees and they all kept their jobs. Yeah, so that was it. And that's a beautiful right, thing because yes. all the families involved, uh, yeah. of course. Yeah, so, so that's, that, and that's incredible that's stuff. That's a big thing. I mean, you can't, you can't save everybody. But if you can save more than 60%, You've really done your job. Because in a lot of cases, because what's the bank going to do? I mean, they have no real alternative. It's shut down. It's liquidated. So, so everybody's going to find it. That's, that's the flip side of this. So don't you, because I guess everyone looks at you as, you know, you're the hard ass that comes in and you're looking to chop heads and no one likes you and stuff. But, you know, on the uh, you're, you're trying to do what's best. You're viewed like you're, you're doing just bad things i mean there might be some champions in the in the business that kind of respect what you're doing but the guys that are there there are on the chopping block are not going to like you but then there's this the human emotion side to it where you kind of you got to push that aside because you realize even though in the short term there might be some pain for some people you're trying to help the larger vision and, and more and, and help more people yes and people don't see that because you're the green reaper so yeah. one in one company i did <laughs> I walked into the manufacturing space one day, and all the guys were wearing these T-shirts, and they'd photoshopped my head, and I was a grim reaper, you know, at the side. And all so I walk in, and everybody's waiting to see what I do. So I take my shirt off. I say, somebody's got an extra T-shirt? And I said, yes, and I put it on, and I wore it for the day. And everybody just laughed. And I said, look, yes, we've lost this, but think about it. Everybody's working here, mm-hmm. and you're all making more money. So it's tough because... You know, at times it used to really bother me. And a, a very, um, a really brilliant woman from uh, London, Marissa Peer, world famous hypnotherapist, said to me, Peter, you have to understand sometimes your job, you're like the battlefield surgeon. You have to decide who lives, who dies. And you don't want to make that decision, but, you know, this person you can't help. All you can do is you can make it easier for them. So, yes, it's not popular going in. but And I liked what you said. You are looking for the the bigger outcome. So I become very outcome focused in terms of if we can fix this. So if you guys were looking at a property, you probably look at what the return might be, whether it's cash flow or it's capital appreciation, but somewhere there's a blend, right? So I look at it from a point of view, if it was private equity and somebody was buying that, a financial buyer, they probably want a 30% return. So I look at whatever the book value is, and I say, okay, I've got to get that 30% return because if I get that, then the book value is the book value, right? Otherwise, it's whatever the bank has said. It's probably 20%. 
So I have to come with a bigger p picture, and I have to create something sustainable. So it's not like the old chainsaw owl, you know, you cut, burn, do whatever. You've got to create a sustainable business. And that's really the art form of it. Because you can put in an, an initial fix, but can you create something that's going to survive not just next year and the year after, but for many, many years to come? And that I love that thought, but why do you have to? Because if you just chop, 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 isn't, isn't some of that chopping going to satisfy the bank's requirements? But I, I love what you're saying, to build something sustainable. But why is that necessary? Like, I want it to be necessary, and I believe in it. I think that serves a higher right. purpose. But that's a requirement of what? You showing the sustainability of the company? Yeah, so if, I, if I'm looking at a company, I do, like, I say two or three days, depending on the time frame, right? Um, looking at the business, whatever it happens to be, is I want to see if there's a, is there a core company? Is it sustainable? Is it something that I can build on? So it's a little okay, bit Okay, so like, you're really coming at it from that point of view. Yes, okay, got I am, it, because got it. to me, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it because it's worth it. If I can't do it, i got to have the integrity to say, look, this there's thing nothing is, here. there's nothing here. And me taking your money to try and fix it, that's crazy. You know, it's like the car that's got to a certain point. There's no point. Just put it in the okay. dumpster. Okay, a couple questions for you, but i got to rewind again. Remember when you said those people wanted to kill you somewhere? Yeah, oh, well, that, yeah, yes. yeah, we kind of just skipped over that. Well, so I, we got through the cocaine part of that, but but <laughs> why do you think... Thank God we got through the cocaine. Yeah, we got through the cocaine <laughs> part of it. But why did people... So they, they, they these are the people involved with this distribution found out that you had uncovered it, and somebody's... somebody's like, how do you get... Who's trying to get rid of you, and how do you get the hint that someone's trying to get rid of you? Okay, so I'll deal with the hint first. All right, I've been to the court... I got a new car from Addison at the time. And there was a problem with the car in the morning. I go to court. They give me a replacement car. I'm driving up the Don Valley. I'm talking to a corporate lawyer. And you know the ping goes off. You're out of gas. So I think, oh, my God, I've got to get gas. Now, normally I'd be going up the uh, DVP at, you know, Mach 2 kind of thing. I pull off just by Eglinton. And all of a sudden, the wheels are steering all the tires come off, steering disintegrates everything. There's no PP guy that comes up behind me, puts his flashers on, and he starts to laugh. And I said, what's so funny? He said, have you noticed something? There are no nuts and bolts on any of these parts. Somebody's trying to get you. And then they made two other attempts, which I won't go into. And so the court ordered 24-7 protection. Jeez. And the reason for it was... You still worked? Well, was this a long time ago? Because should we call the police to this office yeah. right now? Should we, yeah. should we be worried? We're okay. We're okay on that one. I Jeez. think we're statute barred on that. The why it occurred was one, obviously some people had an interest in the drugs. Secondly, remind us not to go for dinner with you, Peter. <laughs> there was various vested interests who wanted to get this thing for a minor value and then flip it, and so there was millions of millions, the. The value that the experts thought was between 40 and 50 million. We got 125 million for it in about four months. So there's a lot of money on the yeah, table. Got it. So okay. as the cops to say, there's motive. Okay, I have another question for you. When you go into these organizations, you have to try to find someone who's telling you the truth. I guess there's different departments, or you know, you got you need an insider of your own. How do you determine who's going to be that person? Is it, is it just from talking to, you know, you end up just trial and error? Is there something that goes, is it a personality type? What, is there a clue that you found in a person? 
because you need your inside guy or girl, right? Right? How, how have you come to those conclusions? Who's that person usually for you? Is it a, pers- a personality type or a role? Is there some commonalities? Or my way off base and you... No, uh, no. Actually, as I'm sitting here listening to you, you should be doing my job. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, seriously. And that's a pure compliment because you don't know. The accountant, the accounting guy, the CFO, he's going to tell you whatever because he's probably buried the numbers in some place, right? The ex-CEO, he doesn't want to know you because you're probably going to get rid of him. You don't... You don't oh, he's pro- still there or well, she's still there? I get the job. You don't promote failing generals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got the sycophants who all want to tell you, you know, I'm the best salesperson, whatever. So that's where I go into metrics to a degree. I use metrics to a large point. Um, And I really look at performance in the short term. So I have to get to an outcome. So let's say I say they, let's say the business has got a value of 50 million or 100 or 200. So I say 30% is the return we've got to get. And then I say to the senior guys, how do you get there? And very quickly, you see whether they've even got a clue how to get there. I look at the people who really perform. And this will take me, I'm not going to get this in the first week or whatever. I'm going to get some people who are approaching you. You know, so it's a little bit like the Canadian soldiers over in Afghanistan. You know, they're meeting with the Taliban. Is this chief going to shoot us or whatever? You've got to rely on instinct to a degree. But you generally find that most people want to do a really good day's work. They want to produce something. So if you look at the people who produce, and sometimes, you know, if you go to, let's say you go to a factory floor, let's say it's the auto workers or whatever union, sometimes the cockiest guy is actually the most honest. But again, you, you know, you walk through a plant, you see who's working, who's not. It's like if you've got a sales team, I will travel with them. And I'll say, oh, meet me for dinner. You know, maybe you're traveling with a couple of people. And you say, you know, I'll meet them. I'll be down at 7.30. But I may have a call. So I'll get there at 8. Go in the bar, have a drink or whatever. I'll purposely come down at 8.15. And then I watch how they treat the waiter, how they are with the staff. When they check out in the morning, are, you know, are they the glorious guy or are they nice? Or when they check in, are they polite? How do they treat the little people? You find a lot by that. You know, you've got the... You kind of got the Herb Tarlick guy, you know, the, the old guy, you know, he's whatever. He's the brilliant salesperson, but he doesn't do anything. Then you got somebody quiet who you find just has his rapport with people. And when he talks to a customer, maybe he's talked down, but you notice the customers listen to him. That's the person I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person who cares. As you know, employee engagement in a lot of businesses is low. When you find engaged people, you can get them inspired, and then you show them a way how they can do better. So I'll say... Who wants to double their income? And everybody says, yes. So I say, okay, so let's have a look at your real rankings. Now what have you done? Have you read any books? Have you done a course? What? Oh, no, I'm a professional. And you got somebody who says, well, you know, it's difficult for me, but I'm doing this and that. I'm not very good, but I'm getting And you watch him, and you see they're delivering. It's the people who deliver who make the difference. So Navy SEALs have this concept of being situationally aware. So they can be at zero where they're just happy, whatever. And that dials up to obviously full attack mode. So when you go into these businesses, you have to be situationally aware of the people you're dealing with. So for example, you train a lot. Your brother trains too, but you get the cute. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he, he had... I trained too. I no, trained he, too. He had the blue t-shirt on. You see? <laughs> so, but you know, you go into a gym and you see the people who, oh yeah, I, I work at 
you're going five to six times a week, you know there's guys there who are actually pumping the iron, and there's other guys who, and then their friend holds it, and then somebody spots them. In the course of a week, they've lifted what you've done in, in 20 minutes. So it really is the producers. It's funny you, you, funny you say that because I think Nick and I have come to believe, and we come at it from a different way. One of our mentors once told us that there's no real security in life. It's your own ability to produce that will give you ultimate security in your life. Because, you know, uh, what's his line? Hurricanes hit safe harbors. And, and, you know, it, so anything that you build up that you think you're going to have for security, any savings you have, right. it can be taxed by the government. There's always a, a way for you to lose everything. And your ability to produce is your ultimate security. So to hear you say you're looking for people who, one, care, hmm. and two, actually produce right. is interesting because it's something we believe in very strongly. So to hear you say that coming from your perspective is, is really insightful. Um, Nick, I cut you off. Were you about to say something? Yeah? I was just going to say, like, in in a lot of businesses it, 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 there's almost like the, a lot of a lot of people think there's like there's the 80 20 rule and the people that produce are the 20% and they're producing the 80% of the results right so where do you go down that path because you need the the 20% but then you also still need part of the 80% and, and that's where it kind of gets squirrely, I would imagine, because you're like, okay, these are the producers. These, these guys are my A players. We need them. But we need to fill in these other roles, too, because we do need people doing this stuff. So, so you do settle sometimes for the, the Bs. I guess you like, do. You have or to you just kind of wipe them out and you're like, hey, look, we got re <laughs> to revamp this a little bit. Yeah, okay, what, Nick what and I came in here today and we're looking at the number of people and yeah. we're 80 20, so well, you're all gone. Yeah, didn't yeah. Peter just say we're all dying <laughs> yeah. half an hour ago? Well, we're, everyone's yeah. dead. Everyone's dead. We'll just count. I mean, here, here's, here's our employee list. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the absolute skill of that is, and your, your question is very insightful, and what I'd add is you've now got to convert more people into the 80-20. Okay. So when I first read the book many years ago, I thought, wow, like this is the key to the kingdom, right? There's two other books. One is The One Thing by the Keller, you know, making yeah, your Yeah, one Gary thing. Keller. Gary yeah. Keller. And then the other one, I think, is mindset, having a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. So my job in this situation, and to add what we were talking about earlier, you've got to find the people who are engaged, produce, and can create rapport with people. You know, it is the Maya Angelou situation, whether we like it or not. People do not care what you said. They care about how you left them. So if you've got people who have the ability to do that, now you want to take that out of that 80% and look at your next 80-20, 80-20, and try and move it. So when I read, first read the book, and I thought, this is absolute genius. So what should I do? I should learn everything that makes my 20 basically my old 80. So if we can change mindset and we can inspire people, and we can get them kind of contagiously enthused about what they're doing. They're gonna be passionate, but they've got to execute on the purpose. So your point about production? So now you're moving more to that. In other words, you're shifting, you know, you're shifting the curve. Yep. If you can shift the curve, you're gonna be successful. Then you're gonna be sustainable. If you can't shift the curve, then you're right back to what you said earlier, you know, and, and you'd said about how you've got the fiefdoms, you're saying about people not liking it, you know, Work well, is a bitch. And then there's a core principle missing from the business. Because if you can't start to shift that curve, then it's just like there's not enough for people to go after. You know, or, or there's, to me, it feels like there's something else missing, 
right? Because if you if you if you don't have these other purposes, or you can't see if people want to if they want growth or if they want to learn new things, and and that's what's going to get them over to that twenty percent. And if you're not able to provide that, then that's like a core principle of the business is missing that will prevent you from getting more people to that side. At least that's the way I look at it. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Oh, it makes perfect sense to me because that's essentially what I have to do in my people selection. I have to see the people that can move, the people who are going to come down the path. And then you find what they want. Yes. You've got to match, match it because years ago I did this uh, turnaround plan and I showed it to a friend who was in business and that's great, but why the fuck would I do it? <laughs> I said, you don't understand. You don't understand this. You don't understand. You're asking me to do more. What is in it for me? And I thought, this is crazy. And then I thought, you have a point. So you said something I want to just dial back to you. It's got, there's going to be something more there. So to be sustainable, and we've used the word core, there's got to be something. There's going to be like the flag. You know, if you think of World War II or whatever, whichever side you're on, it's planting that flag. It's protecting that flag, right? Or the First World War poem where they say, if the center will not hold, right? Or in olden times, you know, the, the king's kind of in the center. So you have to have a core principle that encourages people at the end of the day, they go home. I don't want them going home and being in the, oh, you wouldn't believe what I was doing, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And you mentioned something about um, a CEO you wanted to talk about. You know, you go home and your whole thing is bitch. Well, you do that, you're going to destroy the family because dad comes home, the kid's just skeleton. Nobody wants to see dad, right? Or mom, you know, it's the, the horrible boss. So if you can shift the mindset, if you can encourage the engagement and they have a purpose, which is the outcome, and you show them steps to get there, and they're simple. There's not 100 steps. There's three things we got to do. Let's just get that done. Most businesses have KPIs, and they're just lists. They're massive lists, and nobody can follow them. But if you have something simple, then the person knows, if I've got that done, yeah, I've got 30% of it done. It's like passing an exam. I used to sell software that was all about putting those KPIs on a dashboard for everyone. Yes. Oh, I, have yes. a question, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, when you're dealing with the lawyer who hired you, mm. or the board, but let's say the lawyer mm. or lawyers, have... The, you have, a, you have a certain amount of freedom when you're hired because it's already a shit show. So it's kind of like, you know, can't get any really worse than this. So it's kind of an interesting role because, you know, it's, it's either going to continue to be a shit show or you're going to save the day and be the hero. So it's, it's kind of a cool role. But it, what are the conversations like when the lawyer or lawyers who hired you start to squeeze you? What does that feel like? Have you ever been in a situation where oh, they're, yeah, yeah. yeah what, what, what is that? What are those phone calls like? Is it, is it more like, hey, listen, you know what? It's been six months and we, you know, the bank's losing faith in you and, and you know, or, or what is the tone of that conversation? What is it about? What, okay, what are those? Because okay. those are very, uni not many people get to have such conversations. Right. I'm well, curious. Okay. So for, first of all, thank you for pre-framing that. That's kind of like the post event or the initial, as opposed to the initial event. So what I do is let's say X law firm hires me, okay? And maybe we're doing something formal, it's a CCA, or maybe it's informal. So I will quite often have that person or one of his key people come to meetings with a bank. And I do that for a variety of reasons. One is... To protect you, no? Well, here is a cover your ass element of this. You know, it's five inches of titanium. Yeah, you were in the meeting, you heard what I said. <laughs> However, the, the reason that's important, and I will have the principle there, right, is because if what, quite often what happens 
is the owner doesn't want to go to those meetings. And so he gets filtered comments. But when he's sitting there and, you know, the, the guy from the bank is glowing red and pounding the table, he realizes it's serious, right? So I started doing something years ago where I do a weekly report to the bank based on sales, if it was manufacturing, you know, all the normal things. The good and the bad. So I say, what did, where did we win? Where did we lose? And I started this doing this, and I also do the, what they do now is the 13-week count. I always put out there. And, you know, sometimes it's changed, and I'll show the reds and what it, because you've got to be transparent. Remember I mentioned transparency yeah. before? That, that seems like the whole key. So then people are in the battle with you. Yeah. They're not sitting on the sidelines. And if you've got... So you're lead, keeping everybody so well communicated that you can avoid any real harsh conversations. Well, you're going to have harsh conversations because shit's going to happen. Like yeah. you said, you yeah. know, you might have a, a process or maybe you've got a major customer and the customer decides you're done, right? Or I entered a meeting in Shanghai once. We did a global deal with this major tier one automotive company. More cocaine dealers? Uh, no, no, no. These oh, are no, okay. no. They, okay. Just they checking. Have a just have a, checking. I don't know actually, what you're... Actually, that is a secret. That is a secret. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't hear this one. Uh, so I walk in and they say, oh, yeah, we need a 35% cost down. And I say, well, we just entered into an agreement. And they said, well, how much business you got in China? And I says, $30 million. They said, well, if you want to lose it this afternoon, don't give us a cost down. So now you've got to figure out how do we deal with this? So again, you're not going to walk on water. You have to tell people there are no guarantees. I can't guarantee you I can save this business. What I will tell you is that based on what I've done before, I think we've got an 80% or better chance. You have to decide whether that's worthwhile. You'll be informed all the way along. And when we get a major problem, I will tell you. I think we've all experienced it where something's going wrong and the people around you don't tell you. And then you walk into that shitstorm. So your avoidance technique or, you know, the, the chaff that you f have fly out of your fighter aircraft is you've got to be transparent and transformed. Yeah, and what you're doing is in sales, we would call that an upfront contract. You're setting everything on the table. Here's how we're going to do it. If you buy into that contract, we're all on the same page. And I think even in our business, when Nick and I have been faced with curveballs that have come our way, not to the scale of things that you've dealt with, we've found that over-communicating, and I don't really mean over-communicating, but just regular communication with the people involved in that situation right. always eases everybody's tensions. You know, it, it, that's, that's always the solution to us. And whenever people have gone into problems with us, we're always just like, don't disappear on us. Keep telling us what you're doing to solve the problem and we're going to be great partners of yours. But right. the moment you go silent for days or weeks on end, yeah. our frustration is going to grow and we're going to just assume the worst. So it's interesting to hear at your level, that's what, you know, that's ultimately what you're doing. You're setting an upfront contract and you're communicating regularly. Right. So that, that other part, the people we're talking about, they've got to be able to communicate and communicate with clarity. Because if you communicate with clarity, you can take action. You know, you say, look, th these are the issues and let me show you. And you go, wow. Well, who would have thought that would happen? Okay, can we fix this? Maybe we can, maybe we can't. When you have the honest communication, you can solve a lot of problems. And that's how you really sell the bank because you demonstrate them. You say, look, we've been doing some new things. Maybe send one of your junior guys down because you're probably too busy. You know the senior guy is going to come because he wants to see because he's going to go back to his boss and say, my God, I walked in there and it's totally different. And by the way, I got a check here. 
When you reinforce it, it changes the equation. When you have a major problem, you can't hide it. And I like what you said. You don't want to have to go and pin the tail on the donkey. You don't want to have to find the little money mouse. You want the guy to say, hey, this is the problem. This is what we're doing. And maybe it costs us. What, what do you think? You mentioned the word partner. You know how you sold and I've sold to you know the retailers and tier ones and all that kind of shit. And everybody wants to be your partner until something goes bad. <laughs> right? And then typically they want half the cost or they want twice the value or whatever. But when you actually have a strategic partnership, it works. So sometimes it's just an impromptu. You say, every Monday I'll call you with these results. Then we'll sell them, send them to you and you know, have a look on Tuesday and let me know. When you do that, you build credibility. So as you know from selling, if you build rapport because it's credibility and you're interested in the other person's success, very quickly you're together and they're more understanding. But like you say, if you're talking to Nick and you say, where's so-and-so? Well, I haven't heard from him. Have you heard from him? And you try and call him and, oh, I'll see him at whatever. And he dodges you. Then, okay. Shit's hitting the fan. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're saying, like, what the fuck? I got, I got a couple more things for you. And then yeah. we'll, 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 uh, we'll honor your time here and wrap up. But so you're, 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 you're the fixer. The Canadian economy and the global economy is going through a few problems. I don't know if you've heard. We've decided to try to grow an economy by shutting lots of things down. Right. When you see an economy like this, we can choose the Canadian economy. Where, where, where do you think, you know, you've dealt with a lot of businesses. Where are we headed? 2021, you know, to us, to Nick and I, a lot of our conversation is like, geez, you know what? A lot of the stimulus went out. We spent a lot of money. Canada did a great job of sending out the money. Let's face it, with money flying everywhere, everywhere. Personal incomes are up this year some, somehow. Um, um, so, but tw- we look at 2021 and Nick and I, and maybe we're always- Well, they already got $100 billion in the, ca- in the <laughs> cannon ready, ready, ready to go. Ready to go. So, yeah. Somewhere. We don't know yeah. where it's going. Yeah. It's going. But- uh, um, you know, uh, we've been looking at it and say, the worst is likely to come because a lot of it's being papered over so far. And then a lot of the smaller businesses that we talk to, you know, some of them are surviving. Some of them are, we know restaurants in Oakville that are closing down right here in Oakville. We know multiple restaurants actually now that have closed down. And uh, 2021 to us looks like it's going to be a little bit of hard medicine for everybody to take, I think. And the government response to that's going to be really interesting. What do you, what's your perspective on it all? And not as a fixer solution, just, I don't know, I'm interested in your thoughts of 2021. What do you think's coming in Canada and Oakville, Toronto, globally, anything? Just okay. what, what comes to mind when I say that? What comes to mind is I think there's a big divide. There's a divide between the too big to fail, like the Air Canada's or whatever. And then, like you say, there's the restaurants. So one of the, the, the numbers that I think the politicians and, you know, the the instant expert reporters and the, the newspapers and the TV and the CNN guys or whatever, is they forget that small businesses are actually the en- engines of the economy. And maybe it's, it's not a big deal. You know, we're throwing around some monies. I've, I fixed some small, a lot of small companies. Is They're the ones that are the heart. People, we go into 2021, we've got to have purpose. So I have a friend who's an esthetician, hasn't been, you know, closed down again, can't work. It's not that she's not capable. She just can't work, right? If, you, if you're a hairdresser in Toronto, you can't work. But if you're in Oakville, you can. So there's this kind of constructive tension. We can't borrow our way out of this unless we say we're going to mortgage this for the next 15 years or whatever. 
who knows if a vaccine is going to be the, the solution unless we think it's a placebo. We take it, you know, you take two, we take this and it fixes us. I'm kind of hoping that's what it is. Let everybody believe it fixes well, everything. Yes, yes, okay. But if you think of real estate, right? The other day I was at the Longos, you know, um, uh, Burl Oak. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a plaza there. And I looked at this plaza and I just had this thought, crazy thought. I looked at all the empty space. So, you know, I'm kind of numerate, and I look at it and I say, okay, 15% of this side of the parking lot's being used. So that's probably what the sales volume is right now. Most of that is Longos. There's a few people at Home Depot. So you look at that property and you say, there isn't really a true retail use anymore. The developers all are looking for land, you know, all this kind of stuff. Maybe that's, maybe it should be work and shop, work from home, because now people are working from home. Right? So... Our whole world has changed. It's like the winds always came from the east. We all looked there and prayed the eastern god, and now they're coming from the west, right? And it's different. So, one, I think we need purpose. We also need to get people having hope and helping them find a value. So when I said earlier about somebody like Seasons, you know, I started doing that thing. Is there something better they can do with their business as opposed to looking at their navel and figuring it's going to go down further and further? Because sooner or later, you know, good old Mr. Ford and Mr. Trudeau will be going, oh, shit, there's no more money. And when there's no more money, people are going to get very excited. You know, construction is still an essential industry, as is the LCBO. Now, naturally, we all like our glass of wine or whatever, but do we need to build another condo right now? If we've got, if truly we have this massive challenge, then I would say we've got to deal with the challenge. Plus, we have to find a way for people to work and for them to feel secure. Because if people have a purpose, they're getting a return, then all the issues like domestic violence, all those things kind of slope away. If you talk to police right now, they're saying it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're hearing the same. Right? Mm -hmm. And we're seeing, you know, people shooting and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? So somehow we have to get back to some kind of harmony. It's going to take a leader to get to that hope. I wonder if it can come from us as a group. Like I feel like by uh, Peter, and I got to thank you. You didn't have to share all this stuff today, but by you sharing your life experiences, I know someone listening to this in their own company is likely going to have a thought that maybe helps them a lot, right? Maybe someone will reach out to you and, 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 decide you're the answer to help them save whatever their company is, but maybe it's a smaller company that you're just going to make them think in a little different way. So you're providing a lot of value by sharing this information. And sometimes I think together as a group, if there's enough of us all there supporting each other in the community from the grassroots, we can kind of save ourselves. But at the same time, it would be nice to have a leader that kind of really inspired the country. And I feel like there's a moment that we need that. We need someone to, to, to be inspirational in this moment. It would help us all. And I'm not sure we have that right now. You know how you said when you were taking over companies, you would give them hope and there would be a purpose. And I feel like we need that there. Well, so the what I'm saying, so far, Peter, is you have to start doing this for Canada. There you go. Well, I've been, hey, I hey, regret that, to inform you, Peter, well, that your new role <laughs> is providing, is fixing the country. You're the fixer. Yeah, so you're, I, I read, this was an entire setup for you. Oh Actually, God, we, have, yes. we have a bus outside. You're on your way to Ottawa after this. See ya. Well, we'll see you in a, hey, you said you could, uh, the bank, you made the bank believe in how many yes. days? You got to yeah. make the country believe in 30 days, Peter. There you go. Well, I don't know if 
one aspires to that. But what I will say that in, in terms of some of the things that prepare you to do some of the work I've done, you do read a lot of biographies of great leaders, and you realize that, you know, if you think of Churchill, his crystal clarity, he got the Brits, you know, we'll fight him on the beaches, the joke is we'll fight him in the whorehouses, we'll fight him in the bars, whatever. But he got people galvanized behind an idea. If you look at China right now, as much as they may be criticized, whatever, they said shut it down, and now they're okay. The question is, do we have the political will to do that? And if we do, how are we going to take care of people in that meantime? But if people think that this is going to go on a third wave, a fourth wave, a fifth wave, I think it just becomes a descending death spiral. Yeah, we got to break that cycle, yeah. And I, I like what you say from a community p point of view. In a business, if it's manufacturing, they have real estate issues. They're going to have a whole bunch of issues. So you really need people who can be that sounding board and say, look, here's the choices. <laughs> There's one, two, and three, right? We don't need to run your business, but realistically, these are things that will make a difference. Or have you considered this? I stopped in the way up. There's a, a guy who's got a little uh, uh, shoe repair store and seamstress, and he's been closed for the longest time. So I saw it was open as I drove up Kerr Street, and I went in, and his two sons were running it. I said, what happened to the older gentleman? They said, it's our dad. And I said, well, he's a really, really great guy. And how's business? Well, it's this and these young kids, and they're doing the best. And then I thought, you know, it sounds crazy, but most of us are not dressing up to the same degree, but we have shoes or things that need to be fixed. Well, why not just make it available that, you know, you can drop it off or we can pick it up like dry cleaning and take care of those things. It may not be a big thing, but it's something. And any money you're putting into your till, if you're a small business owner, any incremental revenue makes a difference. And if we can get smaller businesses, like you said, some of these, uh, the restaurants and so on, you know, 10 people. I was in Moe's the other day, and it's a big space. And they, you know, they do great comfort food and all the rest of it. Oh, geez, the serving portions at Moe's, legendary. Yeah. Yes, I know. You <laughs> the, take schnitzel, it, the schnitzel at Moe's? You take it home and you've got it for a week, right? So the lady was saying, well, this is crazy. The little bakery next to me, they can have 10 people. I'm 10 times the size. But we know that it's a solution that has to fit all, but it doesn't make sense. So somehow we've got to get a clarity, get people back to work, and get them feeling. And I really liked your point from earlier. It's the basics. And part of that basics is getting people to kind of treat people a little bit better. And all of us try, I mean, this may sound like a tree hacker speech. It's not meant to be. But if you can get people feeling better and addressing one another better, you change to that hope. And if our, if our kind of Canadian goal was, okay, we've got X number of cases, but in six months, it's going to be down to this. And these are our priorities. And this is how we're going to do it then I think we have a much better result. Because we can't fix the world, but we can fix here. Maybe we start with Oakville, I don't know. Thanks, Peter. Really, really appreciate you doing this. Great insights. Thank you. Oh, thank There's you. There's a lot more to chat with you. Uh, if, if you we'll, we'll, we'll bug you to come back on because we've only scratched the surface. <laughs> we've, scratched we've, only, the surface. we've only scratched the surface of, uh, of Peter Purley. So uh, thank you for this. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Really grateful that you stopped by and well, shared all this information. thank you for the honor and the privilege of sitting here and talking and what is really exciting and talking to both of you is you know you, you're kind of nom de guerre is this rock star real estate but it is really wonderful to talk with people who have such gravitas experience in terms of business you know you can have lawyers you can have doctors you can have accountants you can have all these different people all these board members but a lot of them don't really understand the depths of some of these areas and that's what makes a difference so thank you very much i'm humbled and 
really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Two-way streets. And we got to thank, the, there was a Rockstar Inner Circle member who recommended that you, or somehow put you in touch. And her name was, remind me her name, Janet? Janet uh, Hernandez or LaCorey. Got it. So okay. we, we have to thank Janet yes, for making Janet all this happen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. We'll end it there. Thank you okay, very much. Thank you. thank you. Hey, everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Peter. His URL again, if you're trying to get touch base with him, is www.com turnaround-ctm.com that's www.turnaround-ctm.com and if you're listening to this and you want some more real estate information about income properties and creating cash flow with real estate in the greater toronto and golden horseshoe area you can check out all the information we have on that topic at www.rockstarinnercircle.com that's www.rockstarinnercircle.com until next time your life your terms